Hello beautiful and welcome to Finding Fertility. I'm your host Monica Cox from FindingFertility.co and I created this podcast to help get you to start thinking outside of the box and realize that your infertility might have nothing to do with your lady bits. Rooted in functional medicine and personal experience, finding fertility is all about looking at the whole body and finding the root cause of your infertility. Finding fertility does not diagnose, prescribe, or treat any issues of infertility, but what we do is take a holistic approach and improve your diet and your lifestyle to get you steps closer to creating your dream family. Just by being here with me, listening to this podcast, you're already going down the right path to making your dreams come true. Let's do this together. Happy Friday, all. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Fertility. I'm super excited to have Jacqueline Downs back on the podcast. We, um, we've we kind of like blossomed a friendship over the last time you've been on the podcast. So I'm super excited for you to be back on. Me too. Thank you. And it's it's great seeing you um, more often these days, especially on the uh, you know various platforms that we are on together. Yeah, definitely. Just um, tell our listeners if they haven't listened to your first episode, who you are and what you do. So my name is Jacqueline Downs and I am a functional nutrigenomic practitioner that specializes in reproductive wellness and fertility. And what that means is that I use genetics as a framework to get to root causes of fertility issues um, and using combining that with functional lab work and an insanely in-depth intake form um, to really get to identify various root causes and, and be able to personalize each of my clients' protocols. And I also train practitioners um, with, with their clients' genetics and um, more in-depth biochemical pathways, which I discuss in my book. So I have a book that is hopefully currently about to go into the publishing phase, and it's called Solving Unexplained Infertility, Your 12-Week Functional Fertility Solution. And it talks about some very, very common yet way lesser lesser known causes of uh, fertility challenges. And these are things like poor fat utilization, oxalates, iron dysregulation, um, liver detoxification, antioxidant production, and all the genetics related to that and, and gives action steps on how to support that. Yeah. I've read the book. It's amazing. I'm super excited for it to come out because people think we're crazy when we're like, look at your liver, look at your gut health, look at these, you know, fat utilizations. And they're like, no, that has nothing to do with your fertility. And you're like, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. So hopefully my book will sort of change that. Um, and, and, People will understand oxidative stress and what it is and how it is the root cause of all inflammation and chronic disease, especially uh, and especially fertility challenges. So that was like my my main goal of the book is to just shout oxidative stress. Right. Everybody's (laughs) going to know. I want it to be a common term. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's so common amongst us. FDNers, us functional fertility people, but yeah, when you say it to um, people who haven't looked into it, they're just like, what? But I brought you on because there's a part of your book about intermittent fasting. 
And I wanted uh, to bring you on to really kind of dive deep into the do's and don'ts when it's related to supporting your fertility. Because I think a lot of the information out there is um, like almost led towards men. And then even the women's stuff is more for like bodybuilding or weight loss. And um, that's not our ultimate goal right now. And so sometimes people jump onto it because they're like, well, I just need to lose weight. Like my doctor says I'm fat, basically. Like I'm sure your doctor didn't call you fat, but (laughs) Um, and so you, you know, Google the the diets and one of the big ones is keto. um, And then you hear a lot about this intermittent fasting, but um, I liked your approach in the book and how you can relate it to fertility. So can you just start off with some of the basics? Sure. So intermittent fasting is eating only within a certain window of time each day. And so, um, especially for people trying to get pregnant or people that are new to intermittent fasting, and I'll explain the whys of it, um, you don't really want to go balls to the wall and and do a huge uh, fasting window. And we'll talk about that. Um, So the reason why intermittent fasting offers so many benefits is because it allows the body to flip into a state of autophagy. And what autophagy is, is it literally translates to self eating autophagy. And so what happens is when you don't have any growth supporting substances coming in, like your proteins and your sugars and certain nutrients like folate and iron, then your body goes into, or your cells go into house cleaning mode. And so they Mm -hmm. start consuming and digesting and and cleaning house, um, less desirable, um, you know, um, proteins and waste and stuff like that. So, so basically the cell is able to recycle its contents as food for a little while and then um, excrete them. And so it's, uh, it's a very effective way for the cells to maintain their health. And so on the flip side of autophagy is something called mTOR, and it stands for mammalian target of rapamycin, which is a pretty crazy, crazy sounding term. But essentially what it is, is when we have the growth factors coming into the cell to help promote a state of growth in the body. And this is one reason why dairy, for instance, especially cow dairy is um, a very um, mTOR promoting substance, because if you think about it, cows, you know, when we drink dairy, it's something that supports the growth of a 1300 pound cow. Yeah. So it, it's, it's very much, um, promoting, promoting, uh, mTOR. So, um, there's, there's genetics and I, I actually have a really awesome chart in my book, um, that describes the things that promote mTOR and the genetics, um, around mTOR and autophagy, um, that uh, the Nutrigenetic Research Institute that I am uh, a practitioner with and a researcher for um, made uh, a few years ago. And that sort of puts it into, makes it a little more digestible when you can see what's going on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. it, it can get complicated real quick. Yeah, it is. I mean, all of the functional fertility stuff, especially when you get into the genetic stuff, is super complicated, right? Mm-hmm. And I do think um, it takes the mind of someone who is well-versed in studying and applying and doing the research and like their head's just in that like, mm-hmm. like zone, right? Their zone of genius. Um, 
But for the layman people, is there like a really brief explanation that you can say, like I like for me, I always say to my clients, look, your body prioritizes what you put into it. So it's going to digest anything that you eat or drink. And so instead of being able to start recovering and healing, especially in the later part of the day and through the night, your body's working on that digestion. So what do we want? What's more important for us right now? Um, We want to be healing, especially at night. So with the intermittent fasting, you know, some people are led to believe that you literally can only eat like one hour of the day. Mm -hmm. Right. But what do you think the optimal thing is for fertility with intermittent fasting? Well, that, that definitely comes down to personalization based on genetics, but also activity and diet and lifestyle. So if, um, let's back up though. So if, if autophagy doesn't take place and somebody is bringing in the growth factors in their diet or their environment, um, you, you want to have a balance of that. So when there's too many mTOR growth promoting factors coming in, that causes aberrant growth. So that's things like um, cysts, tumors, stones, endometriosis, fibroids, um, even acne. And mm-hmm. so that all of those can be an indication of maybe needing to experiment with um, dabbling with intermittent fasting or just cutting back on a lot of the growth promoting substances, whether it's through your diet or environment. Um, so there, when we're sleeping, the our bodies, especially our liver and our kidneys, our liver and our kidneys are really doing their, their job and cleaning house. And so I, I do feel that the simplest thing that you can do is to just not eat past a certain time in the evening. So for, for me, that's often, you know, once dinner's over, if I, if I'm craving something sweet and I want something sweet, I'll do it immediately after dinner and mm-hmm. then kitchen's closed. No, yeah. nothing else until breakfast. Yeah. And so for people that might have, um, <clears throat> wonky blood sugar, which if you're not sure if your blood sugar is wonky, you can test your fasting glucose, or you can go by symptoms based on if you get hangry, if you feel shaky or faint, if you haven't eaten for a while, or <clears throat> um, uh, what else I'm having, um, or if you test your morning glucose, your fasting glucose, yeah. um, ideally you want it to be about 85. Um, so if, if you have pretty stable blood sugar, then I would maybe start out with like a 12-12 window, which means 12-hour eating window and 12-hour fasting window. And that's that's usually where I'll recommend that people get started because a lot of people are doing that right now anyway without even realizing it if they're if they're not snacking right before they go to bed or if they don't eat. Yeah, I was going to say most, a lot of my clients are snacking. Okay. <laughs> they have the issues with they're going to bed late, you know, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. And obviously when you're staying up that late, you're bound to get hungry again. Right. Or you're bored hungry mm-hmm. where you start, you know, just like, Oh, I'm bored. I'll just have like some popcorn or, or some chocolate or some ice cream, mm-hmm. um, which we usually don't go for like the carrot, right. <laughs> or right. like the nice broccoli. We're usually yeah. uh, picking poor choices, but yeah, I think that's where a lot of people stumble is that, that window that you can have an easy fast because most of it, you will be sleeping, um, is missed. Yeah. And it does get easier. It is, you know, difficult the first week or two 
especially like at night, if you're used to having a snack and cutting it out. For me, the most difficult part was um, I would, I would have, I would graze a little bit when I was getting my girls breakfast in the morning and, and I would, you know, have a bite of this or bite of that. And so um, once I just made it through that, because I had committed to maybe not eating until 10 AM or something, um, it actually, it actually got a lot easier. Yeah. Um, and I just want to note one really, really important point is that you cannot be in a state of autophagy and mTOR at the same time. It is okay. like a switch. Yeah. So you either are in growth promoting mode or you are in autophagy mode. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fascinating when you get down to the science of it. Um, now with these like extreme intermittent fasting, like some people are really taking on like a whole day, two whole days, you know, eating is, do you think the body's built for that long-term? And is that something that is beneficial to people with dealing with fertility issues? I don't know that any diet is really something that you want to do long-term. Um, even if it's a really healthy anti-inflammatory diet, it still may restrict certain things coming in. Now, if you have a medical condition and you have to follow a certain specific diet, yeah, that's understandable. But um, I mean, I like to think about things evolutionarily and we didn't have three square meals a day for most of our human history. Yeah. So, so I do believe that's, that's why autophagy takes place. It, it takes advantage of not having those growth promoting substances and calories coming in and, and it cleans house. Um, but, you know, for depending on your level of activity or if you, you know, if you work out with weights or if you um, just have um, a faster metabolism by nature, um, these, are, these are things that can affect whether or not you want to do um, a longer fasting window or do intermittent fasting for a prolonged period of time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, now I know I talk about in my book, which a lot of people really don't know about this is that they're doing intermittent fasting or even whole day fasts or multiple day fasts, but they're still taking certain supplements or they're just doing bone broth. And, um, this is actually negating the autophagy that takes place because certain supplements uh, are very growth promoting like iron and uh, glutamate. A lot of people are doing bone broth. They're like, well, I'm not eating anything, but bone broth is really rich in amino acids, especially yeah. glutamine. And glutamine is a rebuilding, repairing nutrient, which that's why it's really good to rebuild your gut health. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they're actually... I, I describe this a lot in my book, how you want to pulse your supplementation in conjunction with the days that you do intermittent fasting or the days that you're working out. Yeah. Yeah. Really get that, that balance. No, that makes sense. Um, with certain types of PCOS, I know, uh, women have found a lot of success with the keto diet, and I'm sure they're doing a lot of intermittent fasting with that. Um, can you explain that a little bit, why they would see that success? Yes, because PCOS has its roots in blood sugar dysregulation. And so when you go keto, you're just, um, assuming, assuming that the keto is working for you. I recommend everybody, especially women that 
do want to undergo or take on a ketogenic diet, do it with a um, supported, I call it supported keto. And that is um, making sure that you are able to properly use that excessive amount of fats that you're consuming. Because a lot of people, surprisingly, a large amount of people are genetically predisposed to not properly utilizing fats. Mm -hmm. So when you cut out everything else and you're doing a really fat heavy diet and you're genetically predisposed to not using your fats, then you're going to get a whole boatload of inflammation through a process called lipid peroxidation. And this damages the cell. It damages the structural integrity of the cell, but also the information that the cell carries. Yeah. So I recommend things like um, carnitine and digestive enzymes like lipase to really help your, your fats to be properly used if you are going to be doing a higher fat diet. But the reason why a lot of people that do keto for PCOS is because it does help to balance blood sugar and it does help the cells to sort of come back to a, a healthier baseline of a blood sugar regulation. Yeah. Have you ever had someone who, you know, has that specific type of PCOS where they're insulin resistant, they do a modified keto. So it's not so heavy on like the fats, but they are bringing in that nutrients with the carbs of, you know, the, the vegetables and stuff. I always wonder if they found that balance, would that actually maximize them or would they still be, um, not resistant, but like, would it still deter them in their, um, regulation of their blood sugars, bringing in more of those carbs? Again, that comes down to bio-individuality with how yeah. well you are able to utilize the carbohydrates and um, to make ATP and also what your previous baseline for blood sugar dysregulation was. But I, I tend to think that women do need uh, more carbohydrates uh, than men. Um, but finding your amount is, is the, the sweet spot. So if you feel really tired after a meal or, um, feel like you need a nap or you're getting mid afternoon slumps, um, or you're, um, just getting irritable after, after a meal that has heavier carbs, then you probably overdid it with the carbs. So I do feel yeah. that, um, carbs, maybe a little bit of carbs with every meal, or at least, you know, your evening meal, um, is, is going to be beneficial, especially when you're, you're trying to get pregnant, because if you are doing intermittent fasting, you're sort of giving your body mixed signals because the body wants to feel safe that it can grow a baby and that there is plenty of food and nutrients coming in to grow a baby. And so when you're doing intermittent fasting and putting your body in a state of, of autophagy and fasting, then your body thinks that there is a famine. And yeah. so um, I do think for anybody that is trying to get pregnant, I would not recommend any hardcore intermittent fasting. I would probably just not go any further than a 12-12 window. Yeah, I totally agree because, um, I mean, I think maybe there's a state to like, you know, if you have these major blood sugar issues, to regulate your body in a certain way, kind of like almost like give it a recharge, right? Like a refresh, like plug it on, plug it in type of thing. 
and then start finding your balances like like how much carbs can you handle how much you know fat can you handle healing the gut like all those things and um you know kind of stay away from these extremes i know i had a client who came to me and like literally she was only eating like less than 10 different foods and was like basically starving herself and um you know it was just from poor advice really poor advice that um everything was bad and you know i like i don't even know like exactly why but um yeah i think it's really important to get women to realize that the food is there to help nourish you and if you're eating it in a proper way um it will it will benefit you and giving your body time to rest and recover from that too is so important. And the best time you can do that is in the nighttime when you're sleeping anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, another thing people don't realize is they may be doing CrossFit and doing a lot of heavy lifting, but doing intermittent fasting. And so in my book, I recommend, um, like I said, examples of, of pulsing. So if you're doing a lot of aerobic exercise, and you're not doing a lot of meat, you know, you're doing your um, um, like vegetarian days or vegan days, then your body is going to more quickly go into um, an autophagy mode. But if you're doing intermittent fasting and you're, you're lifting weights, then that's gonna give your body a mixed signal because you, you need to be building that muscle. So uh, um, it, I'm definitely a better writer than I am a speaker. So I don't, uh, I'm sorry if I'm sort of uh, confusing anybody, but uh, I do explain it um, pretty precisely in my book. Yeah, no, I think you're doing a good job. I mean, it's just when you, br when you bring it down to basics, your body needs fuel to do the things you want it to do. So if that is even repairing, right? Like it needs the right ingredients to repair itself. Um, and so when you're trying to gain muscle or especially trying to grow a baby, your body just needs that right fuel. And it's about basically posi positioning yourself, like gaining the knowledge of how your body works. And if the more you're inf informed, the better your body is going to be able to, you know, really optimize itself. And, um, remember it's about consistency and not perfection, like, right crackhead on the street has proven to us we do not need to be perfect but obviously when we're dealing with issues um we just need to become aware of where those issues stem from and yeah a lot of blood sugar issues out there for sure yeah way more than than people are aware of i mean so many people unless they regularly get blood work aren't aware of what their fasting glucose is and and also you know the conventional ranges is you know, up to 99 and you're fine, but a hundred is going to be pre-diabetic. Well, so most doctors don't pay any attention. If your blood sugar, fasting <laughs> blood sugar is 98 or 99, you're, you're totally in the clear and there's no issue, but if it goes up two more points, then you're pre-diabetic. And so, like I said, I like to see your fasting glucose at about 85. And, um, I think a lot of people are in the, the mid nineties to high nineties, yeah. unless they've been doing things to be mindful of their bl blood sugar because maybe they've done some reading on it or somebody in their family has it or they've worked with a practitioner to 
to check that box off to make sure that their blood sugar is healthy. Yeah, exactly. I know there's amazing technology out there today. I mean, probably most likely due to the, the, the rise in diabetes and all that, but there's like that patch you can put on yourself now that like works with your phone and, um, it will monitor. So you don't even really have to think about it. And, um, it's something worth investing in and doing for a short period of time, especially if you're dealing with infertility to just like, um, I feel like all these clues can just really um, put you on the right path, right? It takes the guesswork out of things. Mm-hmm. And like you say, if your doctor or whoever you're working with right now isn't talking about these things and just sitting there and telling you like, well, it's just one of those things. Oh, don't worry about it. Or if you are close to those borderlines, that's when this knowledge is so important. Um to just be your own advocate and you can do so much of at home, right? Like doctors aren't gatekeepers of this information anymore. And I know like, it's a, like a love, hate or a bad, good thing that you can literally go out and Google and, you know, maybe connect with people that are speaking words or situations that resonate with you. And yeah, they're not doctors, but a lot of them, they have their own experiences and they've been through this personally and they've like seeked out different information because that that information just wasn't being given to them by the people Mm -hmm. that they thought were there to educate them help them I don't know yeah so many times we we probably both had had clients that have been very motivated in their their health journey and knew more cutting edge information than their practitioner did. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And that's becoming more and more common too. And another thing I wanted to point out about um, mTOR and the growth promotion is um, the types of meat, meat meat that's given hormones like Mm. the CAFO meat. And your listeners probably all know this, I'm sure. (laughs) No, Uh, it's good. It's always a good reminder. Is that if these, these conventionally raised animals are given growth promoting hormones, then that's, that's just going to rapidly promote more growth. Even if you're only eating one meal a day, there's just that many more hormones that are putting weight on the side of the scale for mTOR. Um, and same, um, with certain supplements. So, um, iron and folate, if you want to think about it, you need both of those, you need to grow a baby. So they're very, very important in pregnancy. But if you're, if intermittent fasting and moving into autophagy is your goal, then you don't want to be taking methylfolate and iron because they are growth promoting substances and nutrients. Yeah, exactly. Um, Also pesticides, another one that I'm sure your listeners know all about but pesticides are growth promoting because you know pesticides can lead to tumor growth, cancer. Mm-hmm. And so they, buying organic for sure is, is important all around on, on all points, especially for fertility and reproduction. Um, but just tiny little things like that. There's people that are, um, I know somebody that was uh, trying to fit into a wedding dress. So she was doing um, a ketogenic diet, except for she was still drinking red wine. you know and of course nothing was organic and stuff like that so there's you know a lot of people are making their own renditions of these diets and they can actually be causing more harm to their body and their cells 
So I, I love that you're, you're providing this information to your listeners and that I love that your listeners are open to receiving this new information that might go against the conventional wisdom. Yeah. Um, yeah. My community is highly educated and I would say 98% of the, my clients, especially my one-to-one clients are like intimidating. I'm like, why come it to me? You know, like, you know, this stuff <laughs> like, uh, yeah. and so, yeah, like I have to work even harder for them. Like, so if I don't know something, it's like head in the books and like, okay, like, so yeah, I'm really proud of my community. And, um, I think, you know, you just attract like-minded people, right? Like you just, you, you, you gotta be a little bit crazy in the first place to, um, step away from the norm because as humans, we want to be impacts. We want to be part of the group. So to be ostracized, um, out is like a, like you are, like you have to kind of be strong, right? People really think you've gone mad Mm -hmm. and it's all because of your infertility. And it's just like, well, I don't know, like it's either madness or like, like a black hole kind of like of what ifs what if I never tried this and Mm -hmm. 10 years down the line because what's going to happen is everything that we know and we're seeing the research is going to be in the limelight right 10 years 20 years down the line and I do feel for a lot of women who have chosen not to even explore this area that they're going to go fuck Mm mm-hmm I wish I would have just been able to try it Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't. And that was how my journey was. Like, I never wanted to look back and wonder what if, what if I didn't try that diet? What if I, I mean, and I did some stupid shit, like, don't get me wrong. Like everything, not everything I did was, um, legit. And if there was a witch doctor nearby, I would have saw the witch doctor too. Like I, I was willing just to try anything. Yeah. And, Stone unturned. yeah and, um, yeah, some of it worked and some of it didn't, yeah. <laughs> but I, I feel that some of the biggest game changers and the most influential people, I mean, a lot, all the religious leaders, right. They all went against the conventional wisdom and spoke out and they were all, you know, just either, you know, they were, they were all crazy or they were all blasphemous or whatever, but they've, they created an impact and, and there's still people doing that. And, um, I, I, I hope that a lot more people are accepting of these, but that's where the, the science can really be the proof in the pudding when, yeah, when yeah. there's scientific research behind these things. But like you said, it takes an average of what, like 14 years for uh, a published study in an academic journal to become more mainstream knowledge. So there is that long latency period. So you and I are looking like quacks for 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And we've talked about this before when I started to um, actively share my journey and you know really committed myself to being a fertility health coach. I was one of maybe a handful on social media talking about gut health and it just wasn't the time. Like people are definitely more receptive to it now, but 
you're talking five years ago now um no way people were just like you are literally a nutcase and so Mm -hmm. you kind of had to dial it back and now I feel like it's the time of like okay there's enough people who know and yeah enough people who are going to still call you crazy but the the evidence is out there the scientific research is out there so you can back yourself with it Mm -hmm. I feel that way with genetics I've been uh doing genetic research for almost 10 years now and I mean so many people are like I don't know my genetics I'm never going to know my genetics how's that relevant to me but every day that passes more and more people are doing genetic testing and more and more practitioners are offering genetic testing. And so I'm not gonna get discouraged. I just know that I'm just gonna know that much more in a couple of years time when it is more commonplace. Yeah. And I mean, that's gonna shift most people's reality is when they realize that they do have um, a large amount of control of how their genetics are performing and that they, they can um, take control at home and they don't need this radical medical intervention, um, is going to be super empowering to people for sure. You're doing great work. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I could talk about genetics all day long. (laughs) Well, we will stop it there for today. Um, thank you so much for coming on and giving your insight to intermittent fasting. And if anyone has been playing around with this or thinking of it, um, I both think we can really agree that just leave it for the 12 hours around um, your bedtime and morning time to really promote healthy growth and recovery throughout all the days, really. Mm -hmm. So let our listeners know where they can find you. You can go to my website, JacquelineDowns.com, J-A-C-L-Y-N-D-O-W-N-S. And please follow me. I recently started uh, on Instagram. I've had an account forever, but um, I would have rather vomited in my mouth and had another social media account to (laughs) uh, maintain, but uh, I'm getting into it. So I'm getting used to it. And I'm at Functional Fertility Solutions. And I um, really aim to provide useful, actionable educational content for everybody. Yeah, definitely. Well, go follow. The link is down in the show notes. And until next time, I'm sure I'll have you on the podcast once again when your book is released. So (laughs) have a great day. You too. Bye. Thank you once again for tuning in to the Finding Fertility podcast. If you're loving this podcast, please leave us a rating and review and let us know how this podcast is supporting you to get steps closer to creating your dream family. I hope you have a beautiful weekend and we will see you next Friday for another episode of the Finding Fertility podcast.